to the Lord. Shine, Jesus, shine is our opening hymn, 491. Fill this land with the fire. 
to pray for us, and, uh, and then I'm going to get out of the way and let Brother Richard come and lead us in more worship through the music. So let's pray together as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful this morning for this time together as brothers and sisters. Father, as a family of God here at First Baptist Church, um, we thank you for, for being the head of our church. God, we thank you for giving to us, providing for us leadership in a divine way. Father, as you have not only given to us Christ as the head of the church, you've also given to us faithful men to lead the church uh, and uh, in its ministries. And Father, additionally, you've given the church faithful people to carry out that ministry, to be the hands and the feet of, of the love that you have to share with this world. And so, Father, as we meet together on this Lord's Day as brothers and sisters, Father, we pray that our worship is pleasing to you. Father, that the faith of your people is evident in their, in their, not just in their attendance, but in their worship, in the singing of songs, and in the reading of your word, and the giving of the offering. God, I pray that you take the faith of your people and that you multiply it uh, unto your sake. Father, we, we thank you for the ongoing work. Thank you for the privilege of being able to partner uh, with this community here at Union City in Obion County. Uh, Father, to, to see souls saved. Um, Father, to, to see the kingdom grow both in knowledge and in number. Uh, Father, it is a great privilege to serve you. And, and Lord, as we just offer back a, a portion of, of what you have so graciously given to us today, uh, Father, may we be mindful of all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do in the future. Uh, Father, as we come to you with grateful hearts and we join our brothers and sisters around the world on this Lord's Day, Father, we pray that your name is exalted and that you are glorified by the worship of your people. And we pray all of this now in Jesus' name. And amen. Let's sing together the familiar chorus, Breathe.
Thank you, Brother Richard. As we move toward the Word this morning, I want to read a great two verses from the Word of God about the assembling of the saints. It's a great reminder for us from the Word of God as we gather together here at First Baptist and, and offer our gift of worship. And, and it's a reflection individually, and it's a reflection corporately. Um, it speaks to both. Uh, very powerful verses, Psalm 63, verses one and two. Let's read this together um, as we read God's word in the house of God. It says this, O God, you are my God. Amen? Let's, 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 don't go further. Let's say that one more time. O God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. See, that's the consequence of coming and worshiping together with God's people in God's house, is that God does things together corporately that, that, that shows us his power and his glory. And when we come into the sanctuary of God with longing and expectation, he reveals himself to us through the worship of the music and of the word and of the tithe. Uh, as we long for him, he presents himself to us. Amen. Amen, church, as the word of God is read this morning. Our offertory hymn is Be Thou My Vision. Let's stand together as we sing, and it is hymn number 83. Let's stand together as we sing the first and the last verse. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. God be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy 
So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and be turning in then to John, or rather 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 is where we're going to begin today. I'm getting myself set up here, and um, I, I, um, I've, I've reviewed all my notes. They're all there, uh, unlike last week. So um, no, no worries. No, don't worry anybody worry about any getting out here early or anything like that. Just put that out of your mind, okay? Um, so uh, I'm excited about this sermon today because it's, it's reflective in many ways of Jesus' teachings in John chapter 3. Um, uh, we, as we kind of continue to move through the book of 1 John, we're, we're going to finish chapter 4 today. And, and there's just one chapter left, so we're only looking at maybe two, possibly three more sermons left in this series. Um, uh, probably two. But nonetheless, 1 John chapter 4 ends in quite a, uh, a, quite, with quite a teaching um, John is going to really speak heavy to the love of God today as expressed to us through Christ. Um, and as we, again, as we put it into context, how do I know I'm saved is the overarching theme of this sermon series. Um, we, we've walked and talked about a lot of things and, and the love of God as manifested in the person of Christ um, is the ultimate expression of love that we're going to discover today from First John. And so let's read, uh, let's read this passage of Scripture. We're going, to lead, we're going to read the rest of chapter 4. So that's verses 7 through 21. And so let's stand together. Let's read God's Word. And, um, and let's see what and discover what God has to say to us today. John begins with this. Beloved. Let us not, or let us rather, love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God, sent, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him... Because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let's pray this morning. Father, this morning, as your people have met and assembled and have gathered around your word, uh, Father, Bless the reading of your word. Break it now for our spiritual nourishment. Father, give it, may, may it give to us life and righteousness. And Father, may it glorify you in the reading of your people. And we pray this now in Christ's name. And amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So John's, John's thesis today is, is really going to center on God's love. And, and I know we've kind of been through some of these tenets already. I'm not going to necessarily dwell on them today. I'm going to really just focus on John's main arguments here as he presents them in three parts. Um, John basically has been asking us throughout this book, do we love God? Do we love his commandments? And do we love one another? And John says, if you have fellowship with the Father, then we know that we are children of God. Now, in theory, it doesn't sound too hard. In practice, though, it has become very difficult to exercise or, or practice this principle. John has laid down some very hard lines as it pertains to those who would suggest that fellowship with God means denying the very things that we're being taught here. He calls these people antichrists, and he tells us to avoid them. And today, he's going to add another layer of this argument by teaching us somewhat of something evangelical. It's going to take an evangelical tone today. Uh, again, this, this teaching of John today mirrors much of Jesus' teachings to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. To John, in this argument today, one cannot separate one's love for God and by actually knowing him. John teaches us this in three different parts, the first one of which today covers verses 7 through 11, the fact that we can know God through Jesus. Question is, how do I know I'm saved? Well, first of all, you can know God, the Father, through Jesus, the Son. And that kind of goes without saying, but, but as, as John begins to unpack this truth, then we begin to understand how this is possible. Firstly, uh, one, of foremo- or one of John's arguments here is that one of God's foremost expressions of himself to us is his love. 
Okay, and, and, I, and, I, and I know that this deserves a caveat in our, in our world today because the, the word for love has been, um, has been ratified in many ways to mean many things that it's not. Um, and so oftentimes, as we talked last week, even with this, this, this heresy of universalism, we, we, we have people who will suggest that because God is love, that love wins and that there's, that there's, there's just this, all this pie in the sky mental theology stuff. And that's, that's, that's true in part, but John's saying there's more to it. Okay, John's going to show us that that as the one of the foremost expressions of God to us is his love, we can actually know God through that love. Okay, let me put it to you like this. If, If somebody were to ask you to describe to them your best friend, your spouse or somebody that you're well acquainted with, how would you go about sharing with them who that person is? How would you explain to them this individual that they don't know, right? Oftentimes we would go straight to what makes them who they are. We would begin by describing their personality traits. They're funny, they're kind, they're creative, they're giving and so forth. Oftentimes that's what makes us who we are. And people know each other through that, that capacity. Um, oftentimes we can even know things about people that we've never even met before just by the testimony of others. Now, John wants to begin this section by doing the very same thing. He introduces to us that one of God's foremost personality traits is his love. And so he wants to continue this theme, only and now attach this love in a tangible way. Because oftentimes in our world today, love is little more than an abstract emotion. It's little more than an abstract concept that you really can't define or that you really can't touch or know. It's just this very abstract construct. Well, to John, love is tangible. And God's personality testifies to that. Because God is more than just love. He's also holy. He's also patient and graceful and merciful and faithful and so on. And he is all of these things and infinitely more so. In fact, if you wanted to, you could say that we are those things because we reflect that personality of God. We are created in his image and therefore we are patient. We can be kind. We can be creative. We can be loving. We can be graceful and merciful as well because we've taken those traits and we've built on them from the second person of the Trinity. We find out who God is through Christ. We know that God is in many ways relational, that he's creative, that he's providential. And that we can as well be those things. John's argument today is that one of God's most manifest, and he uses that word, and I love this word, in verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. What is that word? Manifested is, an, is, a, is a, key ver, a key word in this verse because, because it, it shows us or tells us that God was wanting to make clear Right? He was wanting to make apparent. He, he wanted to place his love out in clear view so that everybody could see it. That everybody could know it. Everybody could, could, could take or the, understand it in a concrete, in a concrete um, tangible way. He took something that was, in essence, abstract. 
and he put it out in front of the world so that it could clearly see it through Christ. And that is the purpose of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the manifest expression of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says it like this. Jesus is the expressed image of the invisible God. He even says this here in just a minute, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. Well, well, that's great. So then how are we supposed to love God if we've never seen him before? The answer to John, through Christ. Jesus is the visible form of the invisible God. He's the tangible to the intangible. And to our second point, God sent his son into the world to share this love with us. Verse 9, very reminiscent of John three sixteen. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The person of Christ, more than a man, he was God in flesh. According to John 17, 6, he was the mouthpiece of God. Jesus praying in the intercessory prayer says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given to me out of the world. I have given them the words you have given me. Jesus spoke on behalf of God. He was the prophet of God according to Deuteronomy 18.15. He was the high priest of God according to Hebrews 5.5. 5. He was the firstborn from creation according to Colossians 1.18. He is the ascended Lord according to Acts 6. And all of this to say that God manifested or introduced himself bodily to mankind through Christ. That if we want to know the Father, we have to know Christ, or we can know Christ. And this union of Christ between the deity and the flesh is the perfect example of the God-man expressing himself to us in a way that says, I love you. That's what Christ was. That's what Christ is. It's the expressed form, person of God. Jesus then is the word of God sent forth to the world to speak of this love. And this is what the world needs to know today, that Jesus is is God telling the world, I love you, that through Christ, we can know God. Through Christ, that God is in some capacity attainable, that we can know and understand, that we can touch and we can feel and we can understand God in some capacity. That through Christ, as John would say, we have fellowship with the Father. And that's how you know you're saved. That when we have fellowship with the Father, it's only made possible through the Son coming into the world and sharing that love for us. Now, if, if word were, weren't enough, to your third point, God took it a step further. That, that he wanted to know, he wanted us rather to know of the love that he has for us to such a capacity that he gave his life to express that love. So through Christ, we can know God. Through Christ, we can understand God. But that through Christ, the love of God is expressed to us. Remember John's words in chapter 3 of this book. When he said, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See, this is where we begin to see the words of God 
becoming the deeds of God. The Father would not ask us to do anything that he himself wouldn't already do. And so when he says to the world, through Christ, I love you, he also showed or expressed that love to us through Christ as well. Christ giving himself on the cross was the deed to God's words. It was the action to God's words, the expression, if you will, that what God said, what he meant, what he actually said, rather, he actually meant. Let me say it that way. I've only had one cup of coffee this morning, y'all. I don't know if my brain's firing in all cylinders, but but what God said, what, that he didn't just say, let me say it this way, that he didn't just say what he meant, he meant what he said. And he was, going, he was willing to show us, express that love for us. Because in your own capacity, let's appreciate this for a second. You, you have a spouse, you have family, you have children, you have friends, and all of those kinds of things. If, if, the, only, if the only knowledge of your love that they had for you was your words, how much love could you express to them? But if you actually showed them your love, if you actually did things for them, if you actually expressed your love for them, how much more would you know of their love? Right? And that's the fullness of this. That's, that's what John is getting to here. If, if we just know God just alone through the words of God, then, then that's understandable enough. But to express it to us, to actually send his son to come to the world and show us by dying on a cross... Then Jesus backed up everything the Father has already said. Now, one of the words I want to bring back into remembrance, we've seen this word before in this text, is in verse 10, propitiation. This word's only used twice in the New Testament. And John uses it here, and he uses it early in his book. John's the only one who uses this word propitiation. Why? Because it speaks to that expression. It speaks to the deed. It speaks to the work. It speaks to the action that Christ, that he showed to us of the love of God by going to the cross and being faithful to death. Remember, a propitiation is the tangible offering or sacrifice on which the wrath of God was expressed in order to appease it. The fullness of God's wrath had ascended to heaven against sin, and then it was poured back out on Christ as he was the tangible offering for that sin. Theologically, it's it's brilliant, it's beautiful. But as Jesus absorbed the full weight of punishment on behalf of us, offering himself on our behalf to appease God's wrath, in essence, he was saying, this is how much I love you. I will die. For you, not just die for you. I will take your sin. I will take your punishment. I will take the wrath of God that rests on you and I will receive it unto myself. Folks, there is no greater love known to man than Christ laying down his life for his friends. There is no greater love. There's no greater expression of it. Paul gets into this in Romans as well. There is no greater expression of love than God putting his wrath on Christ. All right, so there's John's first argument knowing God through love. The second part is seeing God through love. So we can know, we have knowledge, we have belief, we have this understanding that God's love was expressed to us, and there it is. Well, what about seeing God? 
What about seeing God through love or through Christ? Well, the first part is, is that God made his love visible to the world by his love for us. Okay. The world can know that God exists because of his love that he sent to us. Okay. And I know we've kind of beat this up already. We've kind of hammered this home a little bit. But, but, but through Christ, we can know God. But also through Christ, we can see God. Jesus was actually real. And this is what John's point is here in the second half. We have seen him. We confess in verse 15 that Jesus is the son of God. We know he was real. He was, he was here. And we saw that love. But for us... And for the rest of the world, verse 12 is a reality. No one has seen God at any time. John acknowledges this, except for one thing, that love was made visible through Christ. Through his expressed acts of love, right? Through Christ on the cross, through the work of Jesus, obedience, his passion, his position, his work that's ongoing for us is visible. We have salvation, Amen. You and I this morning are sitting here transformed believers. We are the evidences of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. The old things are gone. Behold, all things are made new. Because God expressed his love for us, that's possible. That's made a reality in our lives. And so you and I have the benefit this morning of looking back on our lives and saying, that's not who I am anymore. This is who I am in Christ, praise the Lord, but this is also who I am becoming in Christ. See, that working out of our faith, that working out of our salvation is the visible love of God. You and I woke up this morning to health and life and wealth and sustenance, and we call it the providence of God. We are beneficiaries of the providence of God because he loves us. He loves all of his creation. But he specifically and intentionally loves his people. And that providence is the visible love of God in your life. I know oftentimes we, we take it for granted. You know, oftentimes we, we, we don't necessarily understand it until it's gone. Right? Um, you know, I'm battling my own physical things right now. My, my, my left foot doesn't work really well because of a nerve. And so, you know, when when I go walking now, I appreciated the fact that I could walk before. Now I really kind of hobble. It's kind of pitiful to watch, honestly. Probably a lot of prayers going up around the park as people are watching me walk. That poor guy, what's wrong with him? But I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative. I'm thankful of those providential nature, those providential things of God that he's given to me in my life, especially when you realize they're, they're, they're not the same anymore. They're not, they're, they're not there anymore. People, things like that. The providence of God is the tangible, visible element of God's love in our lives. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is a visible manifestation of the love of God. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. He convicts you of your sin. He leads you in righteousness and he brings into remembrance all things that Christ did. That ongoing work in your life is the evidence, the tangible, visible spectrum of God's love. We also have his word. Amen. We have the word of God. It doesn't get any more visible than that. Because God loves you so much, He told you so. 
He wanted you to know. Amen. And this is especially true about future things. God wants you to know about what's going on in the world. He wants you to know what's going on in the future. So he told you he loved you enough to tell you. Folks, if you never read the word of God, you are never, you are never exposing yourself to the visible manifestation of God's love in this world. Because it doesn't get any more visible than that. Say, well, I don't feel loved. I don't feel like I'm, I just don't feel joyful. I don't feel, well, when's the last time you sat with God at his word and heard him speak through it? When's the last time you've contemplated the work of the spirit in your life? When is the last time you've reflected on the work of Christ in your life? Those are the visible expressions of God's love through Christ. Secondly, God is made visible to the world by our love for others. See, this is John's argument. It's two sides of the same coin. Love God, love others. Through those two, through the, through those two means, the love of God is visible to others. Right? We know that God loves us because of all of these things I just mentioned. But the world knows that, 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 that God loves them through our love for them. Right? This is where it becomes evangelistic. This is where it becomes important for us because, because God says, look, I want you to love others in the way that I love you. In a sense, we're ambassadors for Christ. As God gave the word to, to Jesus and Jesus gave it to the 12 and the 12 gave it to us, guess what you're supposed to do with it? You're supposed to tell someone else about it. You're supposed to take it to someone. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're supposed to take the words of God that he gave to the apostles and you're supposed to be obedient to them unto love for others. This beautifully picture, this, this is beautifully uh, 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 pictured for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Listen to Paul's words to the Corinthians about being ambassadors to this message of love. He says this, now all things are of God who has reconciled unto himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's half, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the only love that some people will see of God in this world is you. You are the expressed form of love to the world through God. And our believer's role in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just to be saved. Hear me this morning. Our role in, in the gospel is not to get fire insurance or to not go to hell or to join a church or just simply to go to heaven. That's not the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel is, yes, to go to heaven, to not go to hell, to join a church. It is those things, but it's more. Because once those things are accomplished, you are now an evangelist. You are to speak on behalf of God, reaching all people for the kingdom of God, teaching them all things, as the Great Commission says, that Christ taught us. That's the fullness of the gospel. 
And in short, as Christ worked to reconcile us to God through his love for us, we are to work to reconcile others through God through that same love. That's what compels us to go. That's what compels us to teach. That's what compels us to make disciples. That's what compels us to baptize them to the kingdom of God. It's our love for them. Look, and and this love transcends many things. Okay, love is not this love of God as Christ reconciled us to himself. God, Christ wasn't hanging on the cross, picking and choosing who he was going to do this and that for. He was reconciling his people to God. And therefore, we are to go and reconcile others unto him. Speak the truth. Be bold. Because that's the next part. In short, Christ did all of this for us so that we can do it for the world too. The world, in a word, sees the love of God through us. John's point to this is very poignant. We have known, verse 16, and believe the love of God has has for us. For God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So therefore, go. Now, lastly, this point is, uh, it's, it's amended, or it's not amended, it's, it's, it's added to by the closing verses of verses 17 through 21. We experience love, right? We've, we've, we know love, we see love, and now we can experience love through Christ. Now, how does this look? John, John lays this out for us really well in verses 17 through 19. Let me get a drink because I'm, I'm losing my voice. And, I, and I've got at least 45 minutes more worth of notes. And I don't want to shortchange that. But how do we experience love through Jesus? Well, the first point is that love is perfected on us. So therefore, we have confidence before God. So we know love. We can see love through Christ, and now we can experience it with confidence. If if I could point to one of the areas in the Christian life today that's struggling, it would be confidence before God. Many Christians today struggle to have confidence not, not in themselves. I mean, don't hear me. Don't hear me. A lot of people have confidence in themselves. They're, they're a dime a dozen. I'm talking about confidence before God. Let me, let me give you an example. If you were to not make it home today and you were to die on your way home, would you have confidence before God that you're living your life to its fullness, to the glory of God, by the grace of God, through faith in Christ? Are you ready for that? Are you prepared for that? I mean, obviously, that's a very dark thought, and I don't mean to make it sound, but I'm talking about confidence. Are you ready to stand before God? Because that's the reality of what we're looking at here. And many Christians today, they, they kind of, oh, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I'm ready, I guess. Uh, whoever is ready to stand before the Lord, and who's, who's ready? But that's, that's, there is a time appointed for man to die, and then the judgment. Okay, and, and, and I've done enough funerals in my life to know that, that you don't get a heads up. I mean, you might 
find a place and you might get to a place in life where you have like an idea you might get sick or you might have you know some ongoing issues or something like that but for many people they don't get a heads up they just die die in a car wreck die of a heart attack die of any, whatever and it's in the confidence before God that many of them struggle because maybe they're not living in obedience to God right now maybe they're living in rebellion maybe they're living in sin whatever the case may be John's point is that if you have fellowship with the Father and that love of God expressed to you through Christ is expressed to you in obedience and you're living your life in fullness, then that love is what he calls perfected. Okay? He says this, and love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That we don't find ourselves just kind of like barely kind of easing into the judgment or kind of with, you know, apprehension or hesitation or whatever, but that when we stand before God, we are, we are in Christ and we have confidence in that, that, that we are, yes, before the judge of heaven and earth, but we are also before our father and through Christ that is possible. And John finishes this by summarizing both points to be fully actualized. That we can know and see God's love demonstrated to us through Christ or in Christ. And when we see the love of God demonstrated us toward that and we're obedient to it and we're ready for it, then it's perfected. It's a one plus one equals two theological equation. When love is perfected, it's balanced in our lives. Remember those days of chemistry when you had the balance equations? Yeah, some of y'all remember that well, don't you? I hated balancing equations because I hate math. That's why I'm a preacher today. Hey, me and Brother Richard, that's why there's a preacher. That's why the Lord called me to that. He knew. He said, yeah, you don't need any math skills. You're going to be a preacher. <laughs> But theologically, the life of the Christian can be balanced, right? It can be a healthy dose of fear, and it can be a, del- a healthy dose of faith. It, it can be a healthy dose of, 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 of Christ, and it can be a healthy dose of ourselves. The boldness that we're looking for here is in our conscience, It's knowing that we are living in a way now that testifies that we belong to God. So that when that reunion happens, there's confidence, expectation, hope, even longing in some ways. This boldness before God is this idea that we have been fully justified from our sin and that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This boldness before others of the faith gives us the ability to know that we are fully unified with Christ in his body even of service and love. This boldness before those even in the outside of the faith, knowing that the world is lost without Christ and that we are to go to them no matter the cost, no matter what weapon is formed against us, no matter what Darkness is presenting itself to us that we are the light and it is our duty to go. That's balance. 
And when that balance takes place, John gets to his next point, that when love is perfected, fear must flee. And this is a powerful thought for the Christian life, is that knowing that when love is perfected in such a way that the enemy of the faith, fear, must flee in defeat. It has no choice. There is no place for fear in a love that has been perfected in the Christian life. Why? Because fear, as he tells us here in verse 18, involves torment. You see, that's the, that's the, that's the genesis, or the, 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 the genesis, if you will, of all of our faith or fear is that we're afraid of something bad happening. Afraid to get sick because we might die. We're afraid of this because we might die. We're afraid of this because we might lose something. We're afraid of all kinds of things because of the, the, of the fear of the consequences. When there is no love evident in the life of an individual who confesses Christ, then fear will manifest. But for a life that's balanced in Christ, there is no fear. No fear of death. No fear of the enemy, no fear of of temptation, no fear of anything. Why? Because perfect love casts that out. That's, if you will, the zenith of the Christian life. That we both know and love God and have nothing to fear. Either now or when we finally stand before the Lord, the sovereign God of heaven and earth. We don't have to fear because love puts that outside. In a heart that's filled with love, there's no room for fear. It's just like going home in, in, a dark, in a room that's full of darkness and turning the light on. When you turn that light on, darkness flees. It doesn't have a choice. It can't abide in the presence of light. It's the same way with love. When love is present, fear is not. John's concern for us this morning, uh, the natural recourse of it anyway, is that knowing God, seeing God, and loving God is the perfect balance to the Christian life. We know God. We have, we have assurance that the Father, we have fellowship with Him. We know all of that through Christ. And so then we live this life of obedience by loving Him and loving others. And it's, it's super simple, almost to the point of, cliche even people run with that and they're like well that's just this is love this is love 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 and it just becomes this whitewashed principle theology teaching but john reminds us of one great truth before he closes in verse 19 that lest we become arrogant lest we become puffed up lest we become prideful about this idea of our expression of love for god we only love him Because he first loved us. That's the reset of our Christian lives. It's the perspective. It's what keeps us focused, our eyes upward rather than around us. It's what keeps our hearts filled with joy rather than being inundated with all of the darkness of the world. Because God first loved us, we have the capacity at all to love him even back. This is the evangelical nature of this teaching. We have the opportunity to respond to so great a love. And that's kind of the point to John's closing. He's fixing to to recap in chapter five. He's fixing to summarize the whole point to his teaching in this book. But for today, 
The evangelical call, the, the call from our brother John is, is, is to know the love of God, to see it visibly in Christ and to have that love perfected in you in such a way that you are full, full of love and not of fear. That's the, the beautiful picture that John puts together for us here. Now we have the opportunity to respond to that. We have the opportunity to, to take it, to leave it, to, to, to embrace it, to forsake it. We have that opportunity. Why? Because love is involved. And where love is involved, we have a choice. We can choose to believe it and accept it and live in balance, or we can, we can reject it and we can live in fear. Choice is ours, God says. John says to us today, the choice is ours. Let us love God. Let's be compelled to love others. And let this love of Christ be perfected in us. Let's pray together as we close. Father, I thank you for this word this morning. As as we bring the preaching of your word to a close, Father, I pray that you are glorified by what's been said. Father, that you are are exalted and that you are lifted up uh, among your people today. That we can have a high view of you, God, through the preaching of this word. Father, we know that that, that's only even possible because you condescended yourself to the form of man that Christ took upon flesh, that he came and he presented himself to us in a visible, tangible way. Father, that he expressed his love for us or your love for us by being obedient to the cross. And Father, that love has been shared with us through salvation. Father, through the indwelling Holy Spirit and through your word, Father, we now have the ability to love you back. So, Father, as this balance of love is perfected in us, Father, may your people be one. May we be one with you. May we love you. May we love others. Father, in a way that gives or testifies to the love that we've read about through our brother John. Father, as this invitation now goes forth, may it seek to accomplish that which your word desires And Father, may you be glorified as a result. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him. Father, Son.